Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to Modern Bar Cart Live. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Just as a reminder, these episodes are a little different from our normal interviews and deep dives. They're faster, looser, and much less formal, but we always get to taste through some great booze and hang out with some of our best friends in the process. This is our first bottle review episode where we actually evaluate and rate bottles that were sent in by Spirits Brands. We'll explain exactly what our process is in just a few minutes here, so sit back, maybe grab a bottle of your favorite vodka or rum, which are the two types of spirits we taste through in this episode, and get ready for some serious fun. A couple things I should mention before we jump in. The brands we're reviewing today are Humboldt Distillery and 10 to 1 Rum. Both are on the craft side of things, with 10 to 1 operating more as a blender than as a physical distillery. One quick correction I should get out of the way is that we refer to the hemp-infused spirit in this episode as a vodka because that's pretty much what it is. However, the more correct and government-approved name for this product appears to be simply an infused spirit. So if that makes a difference to you, there you have it. And now that we've got that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, please enjoy this exciting tasting and review session with my two besties and business partners, Ethan Hall and Russell Gehring. We are officially live. Uh, for those of you joining us, my name is Modern Bar Cart CEO Eric Koslick. Uh, my mom and dad actually sort of predicted what I would do and named me that whole thing right out of the womb. Um, joined here today by Ethan Hall. Say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. And uh, also in the booth, uh, Rusty. Why don't you say hi to the listeners? Hi, listeners. And uh, well, Rusty, you didn't even show everybody your beautiful smiling face. Give Take us, it give to us, the Rusty Cam. Yeah, bring it to the Rusty Cam. All right, Rusty Cam is up. Yeah. All right. So uh, for folks who joined us for our first live stream, we had uh, Holtzy in the booth. Today we have uh, the one and only Rusty Garnish. Um, so we've got uh, the original three from Modern Bar Cart here today, and we're doing our first spirits review session. And uh, this is sort of a, a not a practice run. We're actually going to be reviewing these spirits, but this is the first of a series of tastings that we're going to be doing. And uh, the idea is as follows. We're going to be taking either sort of craft offerings, which is definitely the case uh, this time around. We've got, we've got uh, four different bottles from what I would consider two different craft producers. And uh, we're also going to be working in there probably some newer releases from some larger companies. So, you know, let's say somebody from William Grant and Sons or Diageo comes out with a really interesting release of some sort, then we may also work those in. So it's either going to be new to you because they're not from your area and maybe they're a lesser known brand, or it's going to be new to you because, um, well, it's just a new release altogether. So um, the way we're going to go about this is, is we're going to be reviewing these, we're going to be tasting them, and we're going to be rating it on a five-star scale. 
Uh, we're not going to be reviewing anything that we would give less than three stars. So these are all passing grades here. We vet them beforehand to make sure that we're not drinking turpentine here on air and, and uh, trying to mask it with a, a medium review. But uh, you're going to see reviews anywhere from three to five stars on these bottles. And uh, we're going to be using a half star system as well. Uh, Ethan, why don't you talk a little bit about... Um, how you think about reviewing spirits in terms of, um, you know, like, like what you're looking for in a spirits review and what, what we're going to try and bring to the table here. Uh, so it's really a couple of things. One is we all have, well, not everyone. I don't want to generalize. Most of us have tasted vodka before. Most of us have tasted rum before we've tasted whiskey. This is not a, this is not me trying to say on a scale of one to, I don't know, Belvedere, that these vodkas are hitting these notes. These are, we're trying to be a lot more objective here and just on the characteristics, quality of the spirit, how does it feel? How does it taste? What does it, you know, what does it do when you add water to it? What do you, what does it do if you were to mix it in a cocktail? I'm trying to be a little bit more, you know, at least my own philosophy is a little bit more practical about this. I will give tasting notes. We will give some weird tasting notes, but, um, you know, the goal is to give someone an idea of, you know, general use. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Rusty, you got some, some for us? Yeah. I think, uh, what we're really trying to talk about here is like, how do you like to use your liquor? Cause I think a lot of people are like straight up tasting liquor is delicious, but like you, we all have our preferred drinks. Some like them bubbly, some like them neat. Some want to pour so many different things together that it looks like a long Island iced tea high class. So, I mean, really understand that when we're telling you tasting notes, like you want to take that and be like, how does this apply to me? How do these apply to the drinks I like to taste? Yep. Because. Yeah, totally. And we're definitely going to bring some use cases in here. You know, like we got a couple rums. If there's a rum that I think is going to go well in a Jungle Bird or a rum that I think is better in a Mai Tai or better in a rum old fashioned, then we'll definitely call that out. So thanks, Rusty, for keeping us on track there. A um, couple other things I want to talk about. There's a number of ways that we could have decided to go about this. We could do like we do at some of the judging events that I participate in, uh, a sort of a 100-point scale, like the, the Parker points of spirits. That's great if you're tasting on a panel with a bunch of people where you can take a really granular score and aggregate it with everybody else's and then divide by the number of people who submitted scores and then come to sort of an aggregate score based on a bunch of people's evaluations. But because there's just a couple of us here, we're going to be sort of rating these things in a, a, a bit of a, a softer sort of like star rating uh, with, with the half star steps in there as well. So, you know, there could be, you know, three and a half, four and a half stars in, in here as well. And uh, I think that just makes sort of sense because if you, if you think of three stars as like a, a, like a D, like a passing, like passing, but like maybe need some work and, and five stars as like your freaking A plus student, I think it's a, a system that intuitively makes sense to people. And so hopefully those of you out there in Instagram land, Facebook land. Um, let us know if you think these reviews are useful. You know, we're just starting out on this. So if people point out some major flaws, then we can certainly redirect and, and change course and, and do things that are more useful. But I think for now, um, the only other thing I will say is that we're going to be taking this sort of stepwise. We're going to be nosing first, then we're going to be, you know, kind of taking a sip, evaluating the, the mouthfeel and the, and the flavor and all that. And then we also do have here, we've got some little pipettes, uh, which are uh, going to be used to, you know, put a little bit of water into these, uh, open it up. Nothing here today is super high proof, but that doesn't mean that down the road we're not going to be encountering some some kind of more robust spirits that have a little bit of fire to them. So the water here is going to be used to, um, 
to sort of, you know, just give us a, a slightly different look at it. Because when you do add water to a spirit, uh, it, it acts a little bit differently. So you'll see us occasionally, situationally, turning to the water if we feel that it's warranted. But um, gents, anything else you want to add before we jump into these uh, spirits here? Now take it away, guys. Let's uh, let's talk about these spirits. All right, the first two that we're tasting through uh, are actually front and center here on our uh, display. We've got uh, a couple of different vodkas from Humboldt Distillery. All right, and uh, so these were sent to us. We got the the regular vodka, and then we have a hemp infused vodka, which I'm which I'm pretty excited to get to. Um, sort of going to take you through the label here. It's, it's vodka certified organic. You, you have the actual USDA organic certification right here on the label, uh, small batch limited release four times distilled 80 proof, which means 40% ABV. So this is basically your kind of standard starting point for uh, a vodka. And here I'm going to read what's on the back. It's a little message from Humboldt distillery. No, it's not crab flavored. They have a crab on the front. Uh, it's just a fine quadruple distilled organic vodka made along the Emerald Coast of Humboldt County where the Redwoods overlook the fresh waters of the Pacific. They're actually salt waters. Um, so a little fact check on that Humboldt distillery. Uh, and yeah, the crabs are pretty good here too. So um, like most distilleries, this is sort of like their kind of opening vodka offering. A lot of distillers are going to be offering this as one of their early products. And, uh, you know, most distilleries decide to keep vodka on the docket because it's just a useful thing to have around the bar. So, um, Ethan, why don't you um, lead us in some nosing? All right. So one of the things uh, one of the things we'll call out here, this is a sugarcane-based spirit. So mm-hmm. we are, um, apologies for me being on my phone. Uh, we are working through, we're working through our model here on what we want to have in, uh, in hand to educate the consumer on this stuff. Yeah. All I'll add to this is this is a, you know, this this distillery is a project of a Humboldt native. Uh, I believe his name is Abe Stevens. He um, he got started with he got started with this uh, with this product and is really uh, not not to blow up the spot of the next spirit, but is a big fan of the hemp infused piece. Mm-hmm. Um, this smells very clean. Yeah, and and for for folks out there uh, wondering why we're nosing vodka because vodka is supposed to be you know flavorless and and neutral in character. Well, it is colorless. It it is colorless, flavorless, colorless, everythingless, characterless. Um, you know that's that's something that that craft distillers have been bucking against for a long time. And luckily, the TTB has finally found a reason to get on board with us and actually change their definition of vodka um, to eliminate that whole flavorless neutral aspect to it. Uh, so cause taste this while I explain what the TTB is. You're going a little okay. bit. We live and breathe this every day and you're going to hear uh, us get a little jargony. TTB is uh, the, we'll just call it the governing, the governing body that uh, taxes and handles the alcohol trade. It's part of the division of alcohol, tobacco and firearms bureau rather uh, within the U S government. They're the ones who call the shots on what you can and can't call a drinkable spirit. Uh, they have certain definitions in there and a lot of it is to protect the consumer so they wanted to make sure that if a consumer sees vodka on the label, it has been distilled to a certain proof, it is within a certain range of potencies, and it is generally odorless, colorless, 
characterless was not on their list that was your editorial position cause it's it's fine it's it's fine it's it's um you know it, it was it was never really something you know you can you can go and listen to uh the vodka episodes episode 28 of the podcast probably a couple years back now and we have some really good interview content from rb wolfensberger who runs uh gray wolf spirits out of uh, the eastern shore of maryland and he sort of gives a master class on like how to think about that uh, the TTB's definition of, of vodka. So for anybody who wants to learn more about that, uh, that's the episode to go to. And um, what, so what do you think? Uh, um, I would thoughts. agree with, I, w- I mean, I would agree with the website in saying that this is smooth enough to sip. Um, I would prefer to mix it if I had my druthers, but it's got a little bit of sweetness that you would expect from a, from an alcoholic spirit, but it's really light body. Rusty. I was going to say, I can really like kind of taste the seawater or, like crab, I actually to be honest, maybe it's just looking at the crab, but kind of taste like some like old bay crabness to this, like and not in a bad way. Like it's got that smoothness that you associate with seafood, that like part of that tongue. I yeah. chill. I chill this and have it with the seafood tower. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's uh, Southern Teague. That's his like uh, he, the amazing bartender and podcaster out of uh, New York City. That's what he always says. Vodka should be served out of the freezer and with oysters. Uh, and I, I agree. Um, so on the nose, to me, two things that I pick up on the nose are that grassy character that sometimes accompanies a cane spirit. Yeah, I'm getting that. Um, and it it's one of those things that even at higher proofs. Now we have to remember that vodka. By definition, just because the flavorless aspect got eliminated from that definition doesn't mean that some of the functional sort of like trade aspects of it where it needs to be distilled to an extremely high proof, that's still the rule. So um, the nice thing about that grassy note in cane distillates, um, for for uh, for example, um, you'd call it an NCS, like a neutral cane spirit, if you were buying it in bulk on the alcohol market, you still get a little bit of that grassiness, even at like 190 proof. Um, you have to fight through a lot of ethanol fumes to get there. But um, so that grassiness uh, remains, I would say that's the strongest note on the nose for me. It's a little bit sweet. Like you said, the grassiness and the, and the sweetness are something you can definitely pick up off, uh, off of cane spirits, grape and fruit distillates will also give you a little bit of that sweetness, but they tend not to have the grassiness. So if you're sitting there blind tasting vodka, like we're not right now, um, that's one of those little, little tricks you can use to figure out if you can see what distillate base they're using. So I think the nose is nice. Um, what do you think about the palate? Uh, so it's interesting cause we're not comparing to our gold standards, but I'm going to call out my favorite vodkas are actually the ones that have a bit more of a an oily character, which sounds really gross to a to the non-drinker, but it goes, you know, those heavier vodkas do really nicely up against olive juice in a martini. They do really well with, you know, in chilled shots with, with, you know, Russian food. This gives me a little, yeah, this gives me more of the light, you know, the light seafoody piece. It's very pleasant. I would do that with... I'd take it more in the citrusy direction than the savory. I don't think this is a Bloody Mary vodka. You could do it. It would be a good Bloody Mary, but this is not the one I would necessarily reach for for a Bloody Mary. I'd go with a grain-based vodka probably for that. That's interesting that you bring up the Bloody Mary because I think the flavor, like the inherent flavor in here would actually go really nicely with the Bloody Mary. And what I would say is that the Bloody Mary is one of those few drinks that's actually going to be providing body 
with the other ingredients in the drink. Not that it's like a Negroni where you're adding that body with liqueur, but like the tomato juice and the Worcestershire, like all the crap in the Bloody Mary is going to be in there. So like I would, Bloody Mary is an interesting thing to bring up in conversation about this vodka, but I would agree it is a little thin on the mouth. So for me in evaluating this spirit, I'm sitting here on one hand saying like, whoa, like there's some cool aromatics and flavors going on. Like, and, and going back to what Rusty was saying about sort of like the, the brininess or the seafood quality of it, it's there. And there's an interesting, there's an interesting texture that I get on the finish that kind of like, it, like it actually has a somewhat long finish for a vodka, especially for a vodka that's sort of underwhelming in the mouthfeel category. Dude, um, if you watered it up a little bit, yeah, let's see. Really pleasant. Add a couple drops. Okay. I'm going to add one, two, three, four, five little drops what of you water. Got, Rusty? I was going to say, it's like, it's not numbing at all. Like mm-hmm. normally when you go with like a clear vodka spirit, you get that yeah. like numbing effect within two or three sips. Like mm-hmm. this one, I've got the lightest numbing maybe mm-hmm. on my top lip. Right. My tongue is fully active. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Russell, we need that that's what she said button on the soundboard. We're going we're gonna to get our soundboard up Come and working. Don't worry. We're going to get there. We're going to try and <laughs> do something. Fully active. We're going to be getting one or two things just better every time we do one of these. So we've got a soundboard coming along. We've got all the tech capacity. We're just, uh, I, I am just a little bit technically inept. So um, yeah, adding the water, that was a good call. I can't believe we didn't do that because the mouthfeel with just those five drops of water I added is much better. So that to me sort of says you need to chill it, add a little bit yeah. of ice, just get that get that dilution in there a little bit. Mm-hmm. On the rocks. I would drink that on the rocks. If, mm-hmm. I'm not a vodka rocks guy, but if I were to do it, that's this is the kind of vodka you'd want. Yeah. Um the, easy the, sipper. The last thing I will say is that on the bottle, I believe they call out what, four times filtered? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's, uh, they're slow. They're slow carbon filtered, and they're uh, four, four times, times distilled. distilled. Four times. So, so is that four plates or is that four runs? That's a good question. Um, Sorry, distilling jargon. We'll we'll have to work that into the uh, the surveys we send out for future episodes of this style. But um, but yeah, so getting into the review part, I will say that uh, there's a lot to like about this vodka, and um, I do think though that the thin mouthfeel is probably the thing that that needs to be addressed for this to go from like a a really good pickup to like something that I'm going to serve above other other things when like the friends that I want to impress come over. Sure. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm giving this a four, like a, a solid four. Uh, I think there's, a, I think in terms of the terroir that they're trying to evoke. And I think that in terms of the versatility, right, we can use this with seafood. We could use this probably in a Bloody Mary rather, rather successfully. And we talked about being able to enjoy it on the rocks. I don't think I could say that about a lot of vodkas. And so for me, this is at least four stars, maybe even moving in the direction of four and a half. But for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm really comfortable saying that this is a solid four star vodka. Do you guys agree with that? What do you think? I mean, it's a pure situational vodka, but it's delicious. Situational vodka. I like that as a term. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I will give this a general four, a situational 4.5. General four situational four point five. I like it. Um, it's so a. It's um. I would har- I would hardly call it a utility player. Um. That's the thing. Yeah. There are going to be spirits I refer to as utility players. You can. There are certain gins you can use in every gin cocktail. There are other ones that are. They actually the ones I'm thinking of come out of California as well. Um. Which is why can we uh, go into the. Uh, the hemp. Yeah, I'd like to talk about this one a little bit because uh, mm-hmm. while personally it is uh, a little bit more. 
uh, yeah, I've got the strongest connection to Humboldt County in the room, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so my older brother and um, his you know, now growing family are relocating back to Humboldt County. He's been a resident there for the better part of a decade. And I have gotten a chance to visit that that space. I really think we do need to play this up. We were given this, you know, this as part of their, you know, as part of the uh, the company's branding. It is huge for that area. A lot of people may know from you know both good and bad TV coverage that Humboldt County is the center of you know uh, historically some really um, industrious, hardworking weed farmers, uh, marijuana, if you will. Uh, they had been doing this since long before it was cool and grammable. Um, right. And uh, and honestly, it's the it is the center of some of that economy. So when they do a hemp infused vodka. There is a little bit of a gimmick thing going there. We're saying humble, tastes like weed, man. But um, there is, you know, it is part, it is ingrained in the heritage of that, of that part of the country as much as potatoes are for Idaho. So mm-hmm. I think it's totally warranted that you do a hemp infused. Now this is uh, CBD like, and THC free. It's all about terpenes. Um, I'm surprised they were able to find hemp that doesn't contain THC in Humboldt County, but. Fair, fair. Um, well, Going back to what you were saying, it's sort of like um, like if you're in Maryland, you want to make a Maryland rye. If you're in Pennsylvania, you want to make a Pennsylvania rye. Like there's New Jersey certain, Applejack, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. So um, I like it. Yeah, but like, bro, do you even terpene? Like, oh, this has some this has some gnarly terps. Bro. It's so dank. Uh, but yeah, Rusty, what do you think? It's pretty dank, right? <laughs> Go terps. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we also got two University of Maryland grads in here. I love it. Uh, so to me, you know, like. Just to describe to the the viewer or the listener what we're getting here is like this is not like when you walk by a um, a particular room or residence and and smell you know the 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 aroma of skunk. Uh, this is this is uh, to me like fresh cut grass. Um, yeah, it's um it's got a nice almost mintiness. There. Ooh, I like that. I like it's not like uh yeah, it I mean I've smelled all of these things in different invert weed, but um this is not this is not in your face. It's sort of stemmy, stocky, like t- like Timothy grass would be like a really pretentious Rusty, what's up? I was gonna say like the last one hit the middle of my tongue, this one's like on the front and the back. Hmm, interesting. Well, let me let me take a little sippy here. Hmm. It's pretty good. Um, Steven, the founder, uh, actually says that his favorite application of this is in a highball that also uses cucumber and Ooh. a jasmine simple syrup. Oh yeah. Cucumber and jasmine but are like, I got the, I get the, I get why you do the cucumber. Yeah. That's like, so in the world of wine pairing, people will tell you do one of two things, either go same, same or very different, different, right? Um, that would be sort of in a, a cocktail example where you're taking some of the notes that are already in the spirit and you are kind of trying to like play those up, crank them to 11. And uh, I think that's real smart. It's sort of like, I, I imagine like a highball or you could also just like dope this right into like a vodka mojito format. If you're doing mint and cucumber and all those sort of things, yeah. just throw a little simple in there and you've got yourself a nice mojito. This would taste way better in the uh, vodka soda closet. <laughs> yeah. Repertoire than a normal vodka soda. I mean, you could use this a little bit like a gin, to be honest, like in a Negroni. It's approaching almost. that, yeah. Like where it sits on my flavor palette, 
the way it interacts, like you could put this in a complicated drink with like some good vermouth, some good Amaro. And it's boom. like a one note gin. Yeah. Uh, well, that sort of infused. Yeah, sure. And if you put juniper in vodka and did it that way, that would be like a proto gin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I could see this being used in a Vesper where you're substituting a little bit of vodka for a little bit of the gin. I do this in a vodka martini, which I will contend. We did a martini episode three and a half years ago. Jeez, yeah. Um, I would contend the vodka martini is still a martini. Mm -hmm. This would be a great martini vodka. I mean, so in terms of mouthfeel, is this also at 40%? Uh, You're closer to the bottle. Let's see. Yep. 80 proof vodka infused with hemp seed. All right. That explains a lot of it. I was getting something similar to coriander seed. Mm -hmm. And if you've seen either because you got an unfortunate bag that you overpaid for or because you're a health nut. Hemp seeds and coriander seeds look pretty close. Hemp seeds are a little bit smaller, a little bit harder, a little bit darker, but um, it reminds me of coriander seed. I, I would have no idea what the what any of those things would look like, yep. just for the record. Yeah, so. he gets he gets way better weed. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't what I was trying to say. It's legal. But, don't worry. Um, all right. So in terms of mouthfeel, I, I would say that off the bat, And we can't treat the infused vodka as the same as the regular vodka. They're just, the process to make them is just different. So it it doesn't pay to compare them, but you can compare the mouthfeels and the mouthfeel on this is out of the gate, much richer, much softer. Um, Definitely softer. um, And maybe by richer, I mean like it's got flavor. So I'm paying attention to the flavor while I'm getting the better mouthfeel. Um, Um, Put so, some water in there. It's, it does the same thing. These, this opens up really nicely. Did you say yeah. so, Russell? Oh, I saw you putting water in yours. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been putting my water in early, to be honest, because me and vodka have a weird history. Rusty, put the camera on you when uh, when you talk. Everyone wants to see your beautiful, smiling face. Hi, folks. There he is. There he is. Rusty on the multicam. This is the uh, first time we're trying this out. I think it's going pretty good. We got the hotkeys set up, although I did before we started this. I, I did like several live live streams by accident because I used stupid hotkeys that are like just keys that you use to type in like space bars and stuff. And so apparently I was streaming for like an hour of just yeah. nothing. I'm really sorry to anyone who watched us uh, get set up or if we had a mic hot, I'm pretty sure we didn't, thank God. Um, hearing me and Russell uh, banter about, you know, just... Fun, inappropriate things. Yeah, it was it was definitely at least PG-13. Um, so, all right, let, let's get into the more evaluative side of this. Like, <laughs> I'll be honest, like, I actually, actually, before we do that, I've got one bone to pick. And that bone you. is with the bottle. Sorry. Okay. Um, so on this bottle, it says vodka infused with hemp seed, cannabis sativa, um, natural flavors, and certified color added. Now... Mm, that's what the green is. So if you look at this bottle, it's hard in a little in a little Glencairn glass, and this is something that you notice if you, if you work with spirits quite a bit. In a little Glencairn glass, you don't have a whole ton of um, like liquid in there, but when you have a, a bunch of liquid like in a bottle, you can start to see a deeper color. And um, this bottle is definitely has a distinctive green color. It's not like chartreuse green. See our last live stream, uh, but it is definitely no, sort of like a, a light minty green color, and I like that. But when I go and look and see that it's like certified color added, like it does detract for me because it's like you did all this work to do, like to produce actually like a quite good vodka, like it's quite good, and 
then I see that front and center on the label and just kind of like, ah, it's a bit of a bummer for me. Um, and but I, you'd get the chlorophyll taste if you try it. I understand what you're, what the, all right, I'm going to give the opposite rationale. You want green in there, but chlorophyll is going to completely fly in the face of what you're trying to do flavor wise. Meaning it, what? So fly in the face visually or flavorfully? Flavorfully. So, so if you're just trying it to get taste too chlorophyllic. Yes. It would taste like grass or something yeah. like that. Russell wants to get a word in edgewise, which is hard. I'm just going to say, I think the last one actually would do better being green because I'm an East coaster at this point, seawater greenish. Like I taste with my eyes. And I think if you're going to add green to something, I think the other one should have been. Green. Oh, you're going for the salinity. Yeah. But I mean, I, and I guess I, uh, uh, something else to kind of like fill in for years that it might be closer to a sea green than like a, like a, a hemp or weed green. Yeah. Um, I see where you're going with that. I mean, I ultimately, if you're making a hemp infused vodka, you like it's not a bad decision to want color in there. I, I just I know that you know we're going back to our friends the TTB here. The TTB for folks watching has to approve all these labels, and so you know for all we know, this certified color added might be perfectly natural. It um, may be a hemp ac- extract color, right? It, it could be that. So I don't want to talk bad about humble distillery like because what have we just done we've got a four-star vodka here that's interesting and sort of like a cool utility player so like probably trending toward 4.5 stars and then we have this really interesting hemp vodka that's got some cool flavors like for an infused vodka i actually think that this style of infused vodkas where you're not dumping in a bunch of sugar and crap in there like you know like the the big players do I'm in line with it, but it's just that one thing that I get hung up on it, and I suspect that it's probably because of some weird rule at the TTB that they're not allowed to say like what's actually in there. I do generally trust their ethos, but I wish I just I wish it was just more apparent. So that kind of like dings that that dings my score a little bit for for what this would be. Um, uh, before I before I say what what I would give it, like what what are you guys thinking on that subject, and, and in terms of like where you're reviewing this? Um, so. Yeah, I get where you're coming from on that. I think that we are in, we're in a weird world for uh, spirits when it comes to those additives. What you have to put on the label, what you don't. We're about to move into a category where <laughs> that is hotly contested and and basically policed by a bunch of internet people, uh, which is never who you want being the arbiters of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm gonna I'm I'm giving them a pass on the. On the green side of it, the uh, the piece that I would that I would say to inform my solid four is a solid four here is that this vodka has just enough interesting flavor beyond the spirit that I could see in five ten years absolute weed with like W I I D or however they would do it in a Swedish way. They're from Sweden, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think so. With like the green lettering on it, like I could see hemp flavor being a being a viable like a viable path for some vodkas in Fair. the future. I don't know if they're the first. They've done it well though. Rusty, what, what do you think in terms of evaluating this? So I'm with Ethan. I think it's like a solid four. Like in all characteristics, it's doing what exi- came out here to do, and it's not offensive in any way. I just think it's one of those ones where like you have to know, just like the last one, the cocktail you want to put it in. Like you put in the 
I wouldn't say you really want to do shots of this like you're straight on a Russian not ripping, train. Not ripping shots. And I've had a lot of family members on Russian trains. Like, this is how you survive <laughs> Russia. Vodka. I could see your frat, though, in college forcing a bunch of people to take shots of hemp vodka. I mean, I would never say force, but I would say encourage people to... Like, Enthusiastically and, recommend. Yeah, I, I yeah. should never say force when it yeah. comes to those guys. They're all good dudes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, well, so... I'm the outlier here in that uh, I'm, I'm I would give it a 4.5 and, and we'll we'll sort of aggregate our scores and and uh, you know obviously when we blast this out on social and you know we're, we're gonna get consensus on this um, but but all the the viewers and listeners are kind of seeing how the sausage is getting made right now but I, I would actually give this a, a four and a half stars in that uh, I would say that to me for an infused spirit, um, you know, we're sort of judging these in that they are both vodkas right now, but if we were at a professional tasting, this would be vodka neutral. This would be vodka flavored. So they're sort of apples and oranges for a vodka flavored, judging this against a lot of, um, flavored vodkas out there. I would give it a five star except for the, the color thing for me, that's a real holdup. It's, it's, it's a real stopping point for me. And again, very likely something that is beyond the control of the people who make this sort of arbitrated by the TTV. Uh, it's also double. It also won double gold at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, I believe. And so. the San Francisco World Spirits Competition is no freaking joke. That's a serious competition, and so like that's kind of that's what I'm like to me. Like this is a four point five, and like yes. So the, another thing to know here, just like in how these competitions are run, if you were getting this. At the San Francisco World Spirits Competition, you'd be getting it just in a Glencairn glass, and you could barely perceive the color in there, unlike with the bottles sitting out here right in front of us. So, again, there are certain, not necessarily limitations, but differences in doing this blind versus non-blind, and so I bet that probably contributed. Like, if I saw something that was green like that, I'd be like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. So, I mean, hats off to them. Um, you know, this is, you know, either way, a four-star review there's nothing wrong with that. That's a solid, especially for a flavored vodka. So we, I don't, we'll, we'll talk off air. We'll, we'll decide whether we want to ultimately issue a four or a four and a half on this. But um, yeah, Rusty, what do you, what do you got? Oh no, I was going to do a random fact of the moment. Uh, the human eye can, can like perceive more versions of green than any other color. That is fair. I actually did know that. I, for whatever reason, in my psychology one-on-one class, we spent like a lot of time on like the v psychology of vision. All right. Uh, crayons. Yeah, no, there were no crayons. It was just a crazy Bob D'Agostino and his like one hundred and one psych one hundred and one boot camp. Um, now he was he's he's a uh, really great professor though at Gettysburg. Um, so yeah, so we've uh, we've got our two vodkas on here. I would say actually two very solid vodkas. We really lucked out in getting these. Um, you know, of course, we're not going to be tasting anything that's not a passing grade. But I'd say that these are uh, better than a passing grade, which is great for us. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of... You're going to see a lot of craft vodkas coming out. We should move these, these to the front. Yep. Most uh, craft distilleries you'll go to will have some kind of award-winning vodka. I've had a lot of those. This is, uh, this is a little better. Yep, yep, absolutely. Right. So uh, for anybody who is... Uh, well, I guess we're not really planning too, too many trips, but hey, California's got a lot of people in it. So if you happen to be a people person in the California state and with a vehicle car... Or maybe if you're closer, like a, a bike thing, you could maybe go to Humboldt County and, and actually check out this distillery. Um, I might try and make a point to do that next time I'm in the California area, which will probably be sometime in 2021. So, um, yeah, 
uh, check out Humboldt Distillery. And now we're on to rums. So, uh, Ethan, I'm, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass a couple of things over to you here. Here's a couple of cards that we were provided right, by so. uh, Ten to One. So we've got a couple of different bottles here from Ten to One Rum. And um, Ethan, we're we're lucky in that you have spent a lot of time recently talking and writing or not writing, reading, tasting, talking, sort of educating me about some of the varieties of rum experience. So I'm going to let you um, be the voice of technique, the voice of um, sort of like the differentiators between different styles of rum here. And, and one of the interesting things about this brand is um, so it's, it's run by, um, I believe his name is Mark Farrell. Let me let me. Uh, Mark Farrell or Mark Farrell. He um, he is uh, from Trinidad, mm -hmm. and he's, he's a he was born in Trinidad, I believe. I believe so. And he was uh, educated here in the U.S. and um, just wanted to kind of take rum to a, a different place. He wanted to play. He wanted to play with some of the sense of place and the sense of origin in the rum world. And and we see two we see two rums here that are doing that in slightly different ways. Um, we're going to begin with the white rum. Um, it's 10 to 1 white rum. And um, so tell me a little bit about it and I will respond accordingly. Yes. So what we're let's look at the bottle here. So uh, we've actually got a batch one here. Um, so I'm looking for the pertinent information. They've got some tasting notes on the bottle which I'm trying to like not read. Um, what do we have here? We have 45% ABV. So we've got a 90 proof spirit. So we're going up by 5% ABV, 10 proof, uh, in comparison to the two spirits that we've just tasted. Uh, a white rum traditionally is going to be either a pot still white rum, a column still white rum, or a blend of the two. And what we've got here is sort of, uh, uh, I believe it is a blend. So in the literature we have uh, from 10 to one, our white rum is rapidly redefining the category with an exceptional blend that continues to raise the bar and challenge expectations as to what a white rum can deliver. We've created the ultimate companion for craft cocktails driven by herbaceous fruity funky notes. We'll see if those come out. I'm not believing the brand marketing just because they wrote it that way. I got a little funk. That combine elegantly to produce a smooth and clean finish. And we're excited for you to experience the end result of this truly unique expression. Um, so, Russell, it straight up smells like apricots and bananas. Apricots and bananas. Some of us call it apricots and bonobos. Um, and so, a little bit further, an enticing blend of column still rum from the Dominican Republic and high ester pot still rum from Jamaica combined to yield a beautifully extra proof expression. So, this would not be overproof, but it is certainly extra proof in that in order to call something rum, it does need to be at least 40% ABV. You cannot get away with anything less than that. Um, so 45 is extra, but it's not over. It's not that extra. It's not that extra. Um, um, it's pretty, pretty. Uh, did so they talk about, um, so the interesting thing on the white rum category, well, there are many, you're going to hear me talk about this way too much and you'll probably stop listening. White rums can be aged Usually what they'll do if uh, they put some age on it is they will charcoal filter it afterwards. Is this aged and filtered or is this two unaged spirits that were just uh, clear by character? Based on what I'm reading, it is uh, unaged across the board. Um, but what we do have is a blend of column and pot. So we've got, you, you've got, think of it like a Venn diagram. You can have pot still white rum, you can have column still white rum, or you can have a blend. So what we've got right now is that middle section of the Venn diagram where we've got two different spirits playing together. 
Um, it does not say in here. I do not believe there is a exact um, percent a per, a percentage. Yeah. So we don't that's know exactly okay. how much column and how much pot in there. But, but I, that doesn't bother me. Uh, I don't know. I'm wor- I get worried more. What we were talking about the other time, which is yes. when someone says straight 50 50, that sound that is that expresses intention and not necessarily a good intention. Right. Um, it, it seems too clean. It's like, well, I took half of this and half to that. Now you need to enjoy it by default. No, that's not how it works. So I, I'm okay with not knowing the exact percentage of the blend. Uh, so Russell said apricots and bananas. Um, well, the banana talked to me about Jamaican pot still. All right. So what the reason you're getting this Jamaican pot still banana flavor here is there is a tradition within the within the rum making community especially of Jamaica to use a lot of natural fermentation a lot of yeasts that are either cultivated on site where they're being distilled or being brought in from other noteworthy places that distill rum what you end up getting is a very high ester content in this esters are the volatile aromatic compounds that go into your nose and make all those interesting things where Russell was saying apricot banana some of them are more like nail polish some of them are you know, I'm getting some, I'm getting some, honestly, date palm, some. Yeah, date's a good one for this. I, you, you almost get some salty, savory notes, olivey notes. Not in this one necessarily, but yeah. I'm just saying across the board, what a pot still is able to do with these Jamaican rums is to capture a lot of the stuff that when you're looking at a vodka or if you're looking at other varieties of white rums, they're trying to get rid of. And that's a shame because... This this is where you get the character of the rum straight off the still, Russell. Oh, you just wanted some gamma time. So do a thumbs up to the audience. Oh, okay, that's good. Well, it's it's hey, we need to know that our producers are actually putting in the work here. So um, the uh, other noteworthy thing, really quickly on this, is uh, the base for so rum is either going to be made of I don't want to say either. It all has to come from sugarcane. Jamaican rums are very heavy on the molasses side. It was a way. It was you know kind of adapted as a way to use these byproducts off of sugar cultivation hundreds of years ago. It turned out that is a great use of sugar as opposed to like a cane juice rum or a um, granulated cane rum. They're just taking molasses. They are adding enough water to make effectively like a wine or beer out of it with that natural culture. They're distilling it. The longer you ferment, the funkier it gets. This is you know medium length ferment. Does the, uh, do, I guess does sugar cane have a different annual, like, effect like you know like grapes in 2018 make great chardonnay or 2017 there are see an effect in the environment on sugarcane with rum yeah so to answer that question uh, what makes more of a difference and you can listen a little bit about this with uh, in my interview with uh, chase babcock from saint benevolence um they're a claren brand which is a um a traditional um the traditional Haitian, Haitian spirit. And and it's basically Haitian, open fermented Haitian moonshine made in kind of like the style of Mezcal, uh, where it's all kind of open fermented in uh, in the fields and then brought and distilled. And and he mentions um, that they select different cane varieties. So yes. sugar cane is a grass. And grass, so the, the way to think about it, Rusty, actually, it's a really great question because it, the, the answer here is very visual, in fact. So if you think about grass... In relation to grapes, and then if you think it, it, about grapes in relation to agave, like agave is not harvested for like freaking a long, long time compared to grapes. So like the amount of time that certain things have to soak up those soil and weather conditions, 
cane is not, it grows super fast and it's harvested and just sort of regrows again. So I don't think you're going to be getting a lot of what I would call the temporal effects of terroir. So like, you know, this year is probably going to be a smoky year for California wine because it was on fire, right? And this is actually something that, that wine people do track and people will actually go out of their way for, for bottles from these vintages, although they're getting more and more common and therefore less and less valuable in the smoke uh, spectrum. But regardless of that, it's going to be like the, the, the variety is more important than the, um, the actual like meteorological circumstances under which these things are, are grown. So um, but definitely a good question, though. Um, and I think we'll see more and more research on cane varieties coming out. So uh, listen to that interview with Chase Babcock of St. Benevolence Rum to talk about that. Um, so let's get a little bit more. So we've, we've talked about some general banana e notes, like it's generally funky. There, there's some banana, there's there's some definite fruit in here. There's a little bit of dried fruit behind that banana. You mentioned date. I'm sort of getting some of those like uh, like a dried, like, like, like a prune. Yeah, I, I'd say a little prune. Um, I get, I get some, we talked about this offline. Um, I got some apple notes off of this rum that I wasn't getting from a lot of other rums. It's a... Like you know, dried, they, I can see a dried apple. I yeah. get a lot of dried fruit in here. Yeah. What they were saying in their materials, a lot of this is there is a great, there's a lot of room to mix this rum. Mm -hmm. I don't call it a straight sipper. I'm moving really like, you know, I hate to be the rum person who's just going to be like, who can tell you pretty quickly what I think about a rum. This, um, this would make a solid cocktail, um, probably on the more citrusy end. I'm not. I, I'm not loving the, I'm not loving the need, like, all right, here's the problem though. I'm saying I'm not loving the need to blend because I have a predilection toward Jamaican rum. So what I'm saying is I want more Jamaica on. And the reality is that's not what you want in a daiquiri. You do not want that much funk going in there. So this is a nice way to subtly introduce it without having to use multiple rums in your white rum cocktail. To I be, like that. That's functionally useful. To be honest, I'd make this into a rum old fashioned. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about a clear rum old fashioned. I mean, technically, it's a thing you can do, but I don't know. That'd be interesting to play around with. You like water if, yours yet? Uh, no, it I makes haven't. more sense when you do. I'm not. I'm not done. I'm not done with it. I'm not done with you. My thing is like so. All right. So when you're when you're thinking about a blend of column and pot, one of the things you want to think about are heaviness versus lightness. Okay. The column still distillate is going to bring lightness and cleanness and clarity and precision and clean lines to a flavor profile whereas pot still in general is going to lend itself to more like heaviness funkiness complexity a shifting flavor profile that kind of moves around as it goes over your palate so for me it's it's not confusing per se i think the impulse to blend calm and pot good impulse uh there's lots of precedence for it but for me this is I'd say the reason why I think of this as a good mixing spirit is precisely because it's not so light that I'm like pleased by that. And it's not so funky that I'm like sitting here considering the funk of it. So it's, it's, it's in a weird middle space for me. That's not a bad middle space, but it is a space that does drive me toward a cocktail. So what kind of cocktails would you make with this? Uh, consider the funk of it was an unauthorized biography of George Clinton, I believe of P funk. All right, sorry, cause music reference over your head. We'll have yep. many more of these in future live streams. It's fine. Uh, I'm sure. What I'm going to say is the uh, pot still versus the column still. Pot still is a blunt instrument. It's a great blunt instrument. It's a delicious blunt instrument. Column still does give you a lot of um, room to 
introduce, not introduce, because that makes it sound like you're adding things, to avoid characteristics if you want them to. Yeah. So you can make super clean. You can also make, and I'm just going to point towards a lot of those weird drums I bought from like Martinique. A lot of columns still going on there and still tastes pretty grassy. Um, so this is less grassy. Getting back to this rum and not rum in general, um, yeah, you could definitely do it in the daiquiri. I would actually say the Hemingway daiquiri that adds a little bit of grapefruit, grapefruit yeah. and a little maraschino liqueur would be a more enjoyable application of that of the sour. I like the this. Hemingway daiquiri on this. That makes sense. Hemingway daiquiri, by the way, is a difficult cocktail to nail because grapefruit ju- like grapefruit juice is a little problematic in cocktails. You don't see it a ton. It varies so much in how bitter, how sour. Yeah, it's tough. You got to get good grapefruits. Like I, I had a Hemingway daiquiri out at a bar that has since closed here in um, Northwest DC. <laughs> and I didn't send it back, but it was pretty bad. And the person who is supposed to be responsible for creating the drinks menu at this bar is somebody who is very, very well respected in that community. And I was, frankly, very surprised. So it, it is tough. Um, Hemingway Daiquiri is a bit of a bit of a white whale for, for some uh, rum bartenders. But yeah, I added water to mine, and it actually got hotter on the palate. Did that happen to you? Yes. Uh, the pepperiness came out. It wasn't the alcohol. Yeah. It was pepper. That's what caused my, like, idea of the old-fashioned. Uh-huh. That's fair. That's fair. Um yeah, so that's kind of interesting. Like usually when you add water, like it kind of softens it. But yeah, this the water here just brought out some some more robust notes, uh, which is interesting. And kind of like in the old fashioned, like what do you do with a what do you do with a whiskey or with an old fashioned? Well, maybe you have a cigar. Um, you know, along those lines, I I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, so wait, Kaz, you went on Instagram Live on your personal account. Oh well. Everyone uh, who's trying to find us on Instagram Live, go to at Quixologist, Q-U-I-X-O-L-O-G-I-X-O-L-O-G-I-X-O-L-O-G-I-X-O-L-O-G-I-X-O-L-O-G-I-X-O-L-O-G-I-X-O-L-O-G-I-X-O-L-O-G
um, the Bacardis, go after eliminating that flavor. He is deliberately not doing that. Mm-hmm. They're putting flavor in this, and that's they're making a point to do it. They're not putting age on it, so that tells me that they also don't need they don't care about vanilla for a white rum for for mixing. Just so fair. I'm trying to think of I'm going back through my head and trying to think of where is there a white rum that deliberately added flavor but didn't do so either via a hundred percent use of either you know Martinique style agricole or Jamaica style rum or Haitian Claren. Fuck, I don't know where to put this one. I mean, it's and, and it's I think really I think in place. that respect, it is it is a victory of the project. I, I'm actually leaning like as as we talk about this, I'm leaning further and further in the direction of really kind of awarding this a pretty solid score because it's kind of doing some it's doing something that's novel and not in a bad way and not in like a very sort of like siloed way. It's not I like enjoy I can it. It's uh, yeah. It, it's hard because I'm gonna uh, yeah I'm gonna point in a bunch of other directions. If I find another rum to compare this to, I want us to come back to this rum and do it again. Okay. Well, we still, we'll st- we still need to give it a score. Um, Rusty, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, you kind of got to go to the four and a half star mm-hmm. because it's smooth tasting. It doesn't numb the mouth. Like we've all been there in rough unaged spirits world where it's just like, Hey, goodbye tongue. Yep. And I know we're trying to like taste better. So like, you know, we're holding up against a category before, I mean, you could drink this smooth with one ice cube for hours. It it, it is a it's a really nice rum, man. Like I'm, I'm all you need to lime are friends, good vibes, and great rum. I believe to lime is a term that we're not quite remembering, but it has to do with having a good time with your buddies. I don't know if that's an actual word or if that's something that the brand made up. Uh, I thought this was a. Uh, I thought this was related to heritage, and that's where it came up. But. Maybe we'll see. I, I would love to learn more about the, the the verbiage of some of their brand materials. But uh, but yeah, I mean, four point five for me. That's, four, yeah, four and a half here too. Like that's where I was going with this. And like, yeah, there is there some. It, I listen. If if I were a distiller and this were my base expression, hell yeah, it's uh it's just interesting because it's not. Yeah, they're not trying, but this is also a blend. And that's the thing that's interesting to me is this is a, this is the work of a pretty solid rum blender with a lot of runway in front of him. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was thinking about, you know, when we went the first time down to, I'll, I'll just call them out, Wyndon Distilling down on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. You know, when Jamie was telling me about their white rum, it had come off the still that we then saw on our tour it tasted grassy. That was a deliberate note. Jamie could have also bought a bunch of rum from the Caribbean and tried to figure out how to make that. So this is an act of good blending. Mm-hmm. This is a different skill set and it is a good application of that skill set to blend. I agree. I agree. I was also going to to reference Wind and Distilling in that they were that they I believe they still do use a blend of regular sugar and molasses, um, which is not. The same as blending a pot still and a column still, but it is saying like, hey, like we're getting a little bit of these flavors and are we getting a little bit of these flavors? Like yep. it's it's a it's a it's it's a move to be done. So yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with uh, four and a half. I was gonna say like four and a half, great. I think that the amazing part is like you want to believe that bananas taste fake. It tastes, you know, all right. We've all it's been not a, a run. It's not runts bananas. It's yeah, like it's a, real bananas. I was bananas about to say like it literally or birds. You're. There's a lot of bad liquors out there that taste just like those terrible, like, 
fruit candies that you get for 25 cents when you're at a random store. You just like put in your little quarter, you Spin turn the, the thing. crank, and then boom. It's been sitting there for 10 years in that little glass bowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Laffy Taffy, also uh, also in the banana world. Banana Laffy Taffy is, uh, is, is oh, hor- horrific. Um, um, all right. I'm moving on to the aged or the dark variety. Okay. Let me get the uh, the materials here. This has a this has in a good way and in a bad way wood shop. Wood shop. I like it and I don't like it at the same time. There's a little varnish. There's a little bit of there's a little bit of fresh wood. There's a little bit of sawdust. All right. Let me let me tell us a little bit about Fine. this first. Yeah, right? So a masterful blend of eight year old Barbados and Dominican column still rums combined with high ester Jamaican pot still rum and Trinidadian rum aged in American white oak ex bourbon casks. 100% rum with no added sugar, coloring, or flavoring. This is returning to the 40% ABV, so this is 80 proof. So the only thing that we've had that's been above 80 proof this entire time was the white rum. And um, I'll be honest, the, the more the, the more we taste, uh, the happier I am that this is the thing that was 90 proof. That tasted, I know we're on to the dark, and apologies for texting, just helping followers with their technical difficulties as though I don't have enough going on. I'm sorry. Um, It's uh, it's, it's always refreshing to find a higher proof spirit that tricks you into tasting it like a lower proof spirit. All right. This is going to be a random question. I'm basically calling you out like a student to a teacher, but what the hell is it called? 10 to one. That's that's a great is that yeah. So material. So I will I'll go through the. Uh, I'll oh, go th- ooh, can I tell you what to lime actually means? Yeah, yeah. It's on it's on that card you have. Yeah. So in Trinidad, it, to lime is the act of spontaneous celebration that can happen anytime, anywhere. Uh, example, you know, went over to Auntie's to fix the Wi-Fi. Now it's two a.m. and we liming hard. There it is. There you have it. Uh, so I will I'll, I'll figure out what t- uh, one from ten leaves zero. Uh, reflecting the idea that we are stronger together than we are apart. Got it? Yep. So it's it's about sort of uniting. It's about, uh, if I had to extrapolate from that, it's about like bringing all of these different island cultures and, and rum styles together in into, it, it's a basically a statement about blending. Okay. Yeah. But blending culture and brewing, or not brewing, but distilling styles, not just like... Oh, the different islands where the where the where all these rums that they're sourcing have originated. They're saying like, well, let's let's bring rum together. Let's not just have it be the Jamaican people against everybody or the the Cuban people against everybody. It's like, listen, these distillates can work together and, and create interesting profiles. So that's kind of the the what the materials are telling me about about ten to one. Um, Ethan, talk to me about this. I'm going to read it again. So it's blend of eight-year-old Barbados and Dominican column still rums. Okay. So we've got a column still rum from Barbados that's eight years old. Mm -hmm. We've got a Dominican column still rum that does not seem... I'm going to assume unaged. I think that they probably have a lot of Dominican column still rum floating around, and they use some of the juice in that. Um, At me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so it's... um, So it looks like what they did is they took... This is complicated, so stay with us, folks. It looks like what they did is they took an eight-year-old Barbados rum. Thank you, Russell, for telling me I'm wrong. (laughs) 
They took this, so they took an already aged rum. They combined it with three other rums. I don't think that based on how this is phrased, that the Dominican column still rum was aged, but it could be. I, I really don't think it is. If it's column still, right. it's probably not aged, but uh, otherwise, I, I think they would have called it out. So it's an eight year old. looking on? The oh, bo- here we the go. Very yeah, bottom. Yeah. A masterful blend of eight year old Barbados well, and f- Dominican column still rum. Don't read it out loud. Everyone's already heard it. I don't um, care. I need to hear it again. Um, well, he, it is he, four rums. It is. Aged in American white oak, which me, leads me to believe they may have put it back in the cask. That's what I'm saying. Not necessarily back in the cask, but what I'm saying is that they took the, this initial eight-year-old rum, combined it with some unaged rum, and then stuck it in a barrel again. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Kind of interesting, though. Like, it's not a movie you see a lot, um, but I just wanted to put that out there. So that's how this rum was constructed. Some rums previously had age on them. At least a part of this had some age on it already. And then we've got three different other rums. So this is a very complex blend. Um, a, there are a lot of ways to do it. One of the problems that we're running into here, and so as much as we want to shit on the TTB, when it comes to the TTB has not done their job when it comes to defining rums and you're going to hear me rant this every time we do a cane spirit that part of this is part of this is just trying to come up with a effective way to describe your own product i'm not i'm not implying any ill will here i'm saying that it's just so freaking hard to say what is what is and is not an aged rum versus a column rum versus a whatever it's there's no law governing this shit that's fair um, so let's get so into the. We can say whatever now. the hell we want. It's all true. Uh, it's I'm also getting, not. So so Ethan went straight to the esoteric of like wood shop and sawdust. I get bourbon. Well, sure, but that's because of the white oak, the American white it's oak, because right? of the ex bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, is or, French white oak better than American white oak? Uh, they are. They are different. Uh, oak is a fascinating topic. Um, actually, our our last. Um, squirrel heavy involved in conversation I understand yeah we do have a lot of squirrels in the oak trees outside that are my nemeses right now but uh, those are American white oak trees Quercus albus uh, which is most white oaks although there's a lot of different uh, oak varieties in our last episode with um, yeah, uh, oh boy Casa Dragones tequila Berta talked about a slightly different variety of white oak from France that they use it's not French oak uh, basically the long and the short of it is this. It's easiest to perceive in a wine, uh, but it does sort of carry over in spirits to a limited degree. In wine, you're not going to see a lot of, like, any real charring happening. You may see a little bit of toasted oak staves in wine, but basically, in American oak, you're going to be getting some, like, sort of... Um, like almost like coconutty flavors. And then in the French oak, you're going to be getting like a slightly different, like more traditional, like vanilla flavor. So it don't, don't, don't pay attention to it. Just it's, it has more to do with the availability of the barrels and the nuances of the oak flavors are going to be more apparent in wines than they are in spirits. In spirits, it's the char level and anything that has been in that barrel previously that is going to have a much greater effect on the spirit so um they really tamped down the esters in this one which is okay it's got well there's probably way less jamaican in it yeah but jamaica doesn't have a monopoly on esters they're just good at making rums with their high ester what i'm really getting at here is they have um so i am getting leather here it's a little savory on the palate yeah it's um i don't want to go the like the easiest way to go with this is to just say baking spices, bananas, 
dried fruits, apricots. That's your uh, typical the, H rum. The last one was better. The last one was better. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I actually agree. Um, this is so a uh, couple 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 thoughts that I have. Um, and again, generally the way that I approach connecting my feedback to a specific process based thing is, is it's like hunting. It's like tracking an animal. You get a certain amount of information. And because we're not doing this blind, we actually have much more information than blind tasters would have. So it would be irresponsible for us not to actually follow those trails and, and, and try to make connections. So for this, there's four different rums going on here. And for me, I am not getting four distinctly different flavor characters or flavor experiences on my palate, nor am I really getting a unified flavor experience. So it's not like I get to kind of chew this over like I would with like a chartreuse, for example, and be like, oh, there's the mint. Oh, there's the genipe. Oh, oh, now I'm getting some of that spice and like kind of warp through the different varieties on my palate. Um, on the other hand, it's it's really not super, super unified to me in that like, you know, I'm not quite sure exactly how old any of this is. And, and we did we did sort of like work with them to clarify, um, clarify the age statement because we wanted to make sure that they weren't just trying to call this an eight year old rum, which they are definitively not trying to call this an eight year old rum of any sort. Uh, but when I'm looking for a, a, a dark rum, I kind of wish I did have an age statement on it. But all right. So I'm going to this is again, I'm just going to go on my rant about how rum is uh, ungovernable. Age statements are unhelpful because some places will use an average. Some places will use the oldest. Some will use the youngest. It's not Scotland. Um, no. One thing I will give them, and this is a but a bone to a, pick in rum in general, really quick. They do state this, and I've got to give them. I got to give credit where credits due because they are playing by a they're they're playing by a set of rules that other people refuse to. This is uh, they proudly state no color, no sugar added. Um, it's okay if you do, but you should be, you should have to say it. Right. Um, so I'm going to give them the, a lot the, of credit. The for trick is go to go to Germany if you want to find Denmark, that. Denmark or Germany. Yeah. Um, um, there's a lot of EU countries that are for where importers are forced to actually measure this stuff, and so. Yep. So if you can Google Translate a foreign like an EU um, spirits page, you can get some information on on additives that you won't get in here in the U.S. Yeah. I was about to say the same thing. Like. You go to like Canada, you can get some like different just tasting notes just by translating the French mm. aspects. Yeah. So, because like it's hard to describe something in a different language. Yeah, you got to use different stuff. Um, are you getting any? I am reading off the bottle here, but I am agreeing with it. A little bit of citrus oil. I mean, a little bit, but this it, it's almost like it's buried. Yeah, it is sort of buried. Um, I just added water to mine, and I'll say it, it made it flatter and flabbier. Whereas adding water to the uh, to the white rum added uh, like added structure and flavor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, what I would say is this: this is a young, this is a young brand. Um, this is still very much in the experimental phases. I would say that what the white rum is an achievement. Like that's like 4.5 on your batch one white rum from people who are pretty picky about giving out A's and that's an A that's the, you got an A on your first project. Like that's, that's pretty neat. Now with this, with this aged dark rum blend, I'm not able to follow the story in a way that makes sense to me, like from the information that we have. And then when I, when it, 
I taste it, when it gets to my palate, I also can't follow the story. So I would be willing to overlook some of the story, some of the some of the gaps, some of the lacunae in the storytelling, um, if it made sense to me on the palate. But it doesn't quite make sense to me. Can we dig in a little bit to why it maybe doesn't make sense to me on the palate? Are you agreeing with that? I 100 percent agree. Um, so what I would also say is uh, these are two products from someone who is a lifelong student of rum, as, mm-hmm. at least as he says. I would say if we had the if we had Mark the you know at least blender or you know if we had the blender in the room walking us through these and what they chose not to release or what else they have in small batches, sure. this is basically what they want to have generally available. I want to give them credit where it's due. It is not easy to get a dark rum onto the market without cutting corners or just treading down a path that a lot of other people go down. So they were trying, they did it, they executed it well on the white rum. I think why you're having a hard time nailing this down and defining it is partly because if we're interpreting them correctly, they took a bunch of interesting rums that they blended that were probably like a gold color by the time you get all that and then putting it back into the barrel. And what I think you want to do is you want to, as we know from making stuff, is you age them all separately, blend them all later. I like the idea of a gold rum because what's a universally shitty spirit? Gold rum. Gold rum is usually pretty bad. Yep. Well, what about a good gold rum? And, like, keep in mind, like, their clear rum didn't taste overly sweet. So I think, like, we're not playing with a lot of sugars there. No, nothing added, actually. They call that out. Yeah, Yeah, this is just from the wood. So when they go in the wood, they're extracting a like your tongue is just getting inflated by that sugar from the uh, white oak, like or that sweetness that you get from aging. Essentially, like I, I don't and I don't mind that. What I'm saying is I don't mind that, but I, but like but I, it's I not rummy. It's fair, and I think actually that leads to like sort of the last point that I want to make on this is that I feel that rum is added disadvantage in the American consciousness and in the, in the American market rum in Europe, people freaking love rum. They love it. Rum in Europe is way better than rum in the U S they've got better rums there. They've got a lot more of it over there. They got us beat on rum. In they America, failed to have a tea party. Uh, yeah. It's also that they historically all have loved sticking it to the French for much longer than the Americans have. We kind of owed them a debt of gratitude when they were getting all high on rum in Europe uh, the rest of Europe was like, fuck that Napoleon guy. Let's stop drinking his brandy. Let's go attack the colonial possessions and drink their sugar cane. Yeah. And Dutch bathroom gin. No, bathroom that's, gin. That's the subject of another episode. But, uh, but yeah, so I think rum is at a disadvantage in the U.S. And then if you have a dark rum, you have to market it to bourbon drinkers. That's how you sell, bo- that's how you move units. You and want people to drink rum old fashions. You don't want people to think about rum on its own. But I do think that with the uh, de- with the demographic shift in this country, that we are starting to adapt. Also, in addition to food, drinking, like drinking habits, and I yep. think the idea of being able to sit around and sip neat on a rum will get us some more interesting dark rums over time. Yeah. And so what I would say, like if, if I were to put out a message to 10 to 1, I would say, first off, c- congrats on your batch one white rum being sort of an outstanding product for what it is. Um, and I think that Rusty's feedback on the white rum is, which was, I would drink this in a rum old fashioned, should be the feedback that we'd be giving on the aged rum. Like right. I should be saying, drink this in an old fashioned. And 100%. 
I, I would the what I would do with this is I would drink it in a bowl of Vardier, hmm. and not so much because it, it, it has bitterness when you add the water. That's the other thing you were picking up. Yep. Yeah. So I would say like, and again, this is not a bad rum. But it is a mixing rum, and I don't know. I'm not quite sure. One of the things that we didn't do, uh, our our viewers and listeners' service on this time around, is that we didn't exactly pick up the price point, the average price point on this. Uh, and so I can't exactly tell you what you should be expecting to purchase these for in your local market. I don't think any of them are going to run you more than forty five or fifty dollars. I'm would, guessing that the high end would be this dark rum. I would pay more for the white rum than the dark rum, or Correct. I would expect them to be priced equally. And I know they're not going to, and that's okay. You back to the drawing board. It is okay, but I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, I, I totally agree. I would pay more for this white rum than for the dark rum. I, I do think that the dark rum would make a pr- actually a pretty good Boulevard EA. I think Campari, and I think if you were smart with picking your spots on the sweet vermouth here, I don't know that I would it use would a Dolan. The oh. I would use a Puntemez. I mean, to be honest, like because it's a rum, it's already got some sweetness to it. And this is what I love of the Boulevardier. You can cut back on the vermouth. So mm-hmm. a lot of people have bad vermouth at home. Like, to be honest, you left your bottle out. You left it in a weird place. You, you forgot let... that you are even supposed to refrigerate it in the first place. Exactly. So, like, to be honest, a Boulevardier should be your drink when you're using vermouth half the time because, let's be honest, you fucked up your vermouth. and Or they imported it. And you can just, like, create equal parts. This with a great Campari or other like bitter. Yeah, yeah. You could do a two to one to one format or like whatever you want to do, like play around with it. But yeah. So I'd say pull of RDA. I think we're all in pretty high consensus on this. Um, the, the crazy thing is that they're like really encouraging the mixing of the white rum. It's not crazy. The thing is they're encouraging the mixing of the white rum and then presenting a dark rum that could also be mixed, but because it has that age on it, like the, there's just an implication that you should be sipping this neater on a cube and I don't think that that's the right way to enjoy at least the bottle that we got. And um, I, I am confident, however, that as this brand evolves, I, I think the project of 10 to 1 is an admirable, pro- admirable project. I think what they're doing is inherently interesting, which is bringing these islands together and saying, like, you know, what else can we do? Matt Petrick, in our interview with him, talked about the, the Rum Congress and, like, these yeah. organizations that are being sort of leverage to to build consensus and to to get rum producing countries and and cultures to work together more. And I think that project is probably the most useful and interesting thing uh, about 10 to 1. And I think that they're going to continue to put out better and better spirits. I think from their starting point, it's a brand to watch. I would totally put 10 to 1 on our like on a brands to watch list. And I mean, let's for me uh... I will be keeping my eye on them because these bottles, although the dark is not something I, I'm going to score super high, I would give it a three and a half. Yeah, I'll give it a... Do you, do you, do you think it's a three? I'm going to give it a three and a half. I we'll call it a generous three and a half. Uh, I'm going to call it a three and a half because we haven't tasted enough to really map these things out. Again, I want a do-over if I get better information or a second batch. That's fair. Uh-huh. For yeah, now, and, three and, and a half. I'm going to give it a three and a half. Let's see. Is This is the... Um, Number one. It's batch one as well. Yeah, uh, this is a new distillery. That's how they reached it's, out. It's to a us. new brand. Yeah, uh, new, new blenders. N- rather new brand. Yeah, new blender. Um, I'm very excited to continue the conversation here. I think we've gotten enough info that I'd I'd be interested in learning more. Yeah, uh, we'd love to have uh, Mark on the podcast. Like you know, especially if especially if they launch like a third product, and we can sort of 
draw, you know, they say two points makes a line, but three points makes a better line, if that makes sense. So if, if they, if they roll out a new project, a uh, new product, I would, I'd love to have Mark on the podcast and sort of talk about his background and, and get, get a little bit into how the sausage is made because again, we're not panning these. There's in, inherently interesting stuff in each of them, but I think that what we found is that the white rum is definitely doing better than, than the dark expression. Uh, first off, joke. Uh, Ninety-three points makes you a uh, wine. <laughs> are all are all, all wines ninety-three points on the on the Parker scale? Have you not been to Safeway recently? I have not. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. This rum, I think it's batch one. I mean, we've, to be honest, we've produced some batch ones. Hey, at our different orange things batch over the years. one bitters. I stand behind uh, to this day. <laughs> so I still have a couple bottles of batch one, batch two of our bitters, aromatic and orange. Um, we're going to do a tasting at some point. Just not the lavender. We're not staying, the lavender. We're staying really on topic here. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean, like to be honest, like it's a big effort to put a batch one out there. Mm-hmm. Like we have to recognize like what it takes, like the sacrifice, the psychology of it all. Like you have no idea what your product is going to taste like. You can take it off the line. Then you can like take it out of the barrel. Then like you have so many choices. There's humidity involved. Like. There's factors you Especially don't understand because, to be Put honest... Put yourself on camera, Rusty. You're monologuing. We need you. Think we about need how hungover face. we were for batch one of everything. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> that was hard. Yeah. Batch one, batch two, like, you have to respect these companies. Like, they are going out there and they're literally, like, we are doing 5,000 gallons or we're doing 5,000 bottles, like... It's, it's, it's a big deal, and we received them. So I, I think we're we're like uh, what I'd like to wrap up on is that we're sort of really uh, honored and flattered to be a part of the process. Yeah, and I want to like we're not saying anything is bad here. Like these are all tasty, delicious. In fact, I'm going back for a little bit more of this white exactly. rum. <laughs> all right, so uh, so yeah, so watch them so, so kudos uh, to our friends at uh, Humboldt Distillery and uh, and Ten to One. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, these things are on the show because they are good products and, and we're just sitting here getting esoteric and putting a super fine tip on things that most people don't care about. So, um, you know, that's just us being nerdy and, and hopefully our feedback is at least a little bit helpful because at the end of the day, we are your target consumers. We are people who care deeply about these things. So, um, you know, hopefully this feedback, uh, falls on, on active ears and, and, uh, you're all able to continue, uh, improving these things until they're just winning double golds all over the place. Um, yep. so why don't you, uh, why don't we uh, take our, our sort of kind of winner of the day here? We've got our, we've got our batch one white from the, uh, the 10 to one. Can I go 10 to one? Yeah. Yeah. Go uh, for it. Here. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to pour rusty in here. Uh, cork it on your mic. It sounds really delightful. <laughs> Rusty just teaching a master class, a clinic over there on camera Put too. Not a clinic. So you gotta, sure you gotta like line that up. You want the beauty of that element. Yeah, Sorry, you gotta you gotta line up the seal when you when you recork. Yeah. Great. Can we That's get that bottle back? We are, after all, filming a video program here, a, a video show. All right. So, uh, gents, thank you for a successful first tasting. Cheers. And, uh, ooh, I'm going to enjoy this sip. Mm. Worst thing you can do is cheers and then not drink. Um, so for all of you out there uh, watching and listening, you can find us 
apparently not on this Instagram live stream at Modern Bar Cart on Instagram and Facebook. If you, you want to see this live stream in the vertical format, you can head over to my personal Instagram at Quixologist. We've got to get uh, Ethan to at least uh, maybe, maybe we need to rebrand your Instagram if you're going to if we're going to keep doing this. I can set up a Finsta just for this stuff. OK, beautiful. Uh, but at Ethan J. Hall, I will actually uh, advertise this to the right account next time. Yeah, very good. And Rusty, Sorry, Rusty, you're at Rusty Garnish, right? Uh, yeah, I'm Rusty Garnish and also one day at other sites. Beautiful. Um, we're, we're going to put together an OnlyFans or some shit like that. But for now, you can just find us on, on video game land on Twitch. Uh, I think we get a uh, solid zero streamers every time we do a stream on Twitch. So just wait until we incorporate your civilization five game. Exactly. Yeah. Civ six, Civ six, baby. Come on. Uh, that's why I got this streaming computer so I could have one video game on it. Uh, anyway, for the rest of you, you can find the modern bar cart podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and, um, you can just head on over to our website. If you are in the holiday gifting cycle right now, as many of us are, we've got a ton of great stuff on there. The next live stream we do is actually going to be our holiday gift guide. Uh, we were hoping to do it now, but uh, you know, with the whole pandemic, it's a little hard to get certain things delivered to you in a timely fashion. Except for our bidders. And Except we love bidders. rum. Yes. Thank you, Rusty. And uh, so, yeah. We'll eventually, in 2021, hopefully have a really sexy outro for this show. We'll have lots of stuff tied into the soundboard. But for now, we're just going to say thank you for joining us. Ethan, why don't you uh, say goodbye? And then, Rusty, you say goodbye. And then we'll just cut it right out. Bye-bye. Love you. Bum, 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 bum. Bum. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, delicious spirits courtesy of Humboldt Distillery and 10 to 1 Rum, and some boozy tasting notes courtesy of Ethan Hall, Russell Gehring, and yours truly. 
This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.